Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 300. Back home again, this time returning home from a vacation. Yeah, really. I took a few days off, explored the Canadian Rockies, took some non-golf pictures for a change, but I'm back refreshed and ready for a busy stretch of exciting golf. This week is comprised of the most highly anticipated, pressure-packed days of the year for men's Division I college golf. It's NCAA Regionals, six sites across the country, 54 holes of stroke play, and the goal is to get into the top five at each site by any means necessary and advance to the national championship. Everything that these teams have accomplished this year, the wins, the losses, none of it matters. You simply have to put together three great rounds of golf and get yourself to Greyhawk. To follow the live scoring, head over to golfstat.com and you can watch how it all unfolds over there for the next couple days. I'll be heading out to Scottsdale, Arizona for both the women's and the men's national championships very soon, and you can look forward to more championship content before we head into an exciting summer of amateur golf. As you heard in the intro, this is the 300th episode here at the back of the range. Another milestone, which means another opportunity to thank everyone for their support of what we have done here at the back of the range. Whether or not this is your first episode you've listened to, or if you've been here since day one, or probably somewhere in between, it's been a fun journey. And of course, as I've said many times, if you keep listening, I'll keep putting out more episodes. Again, make sure that you are following along on social media for all of the content that I create at tournaments. The best place to get all of that information is to head over to the website, thebackoftherange.com. My guest this week is Nathan Went, the assistant coach for the men's golf program at Texas Tech University. I think that I first met Nathan back in the summer of 2021. I was at the U.S. Junior at the Country Club of North Carolina, and for assistant coaches on the recruiting trail, this was one of those tournaments that you simply do not miss. It's a great time to scout some players, connect with parents, and also it's a pretty good hang with other college golf coaches. Nathan is one of those guys that leaves an impression. He's got the Texas drawl, the handlebar mustache, and more than a few funny one-liners. Several of them are in this episode, which I will be stealing for future use. And you can steal them too. He's the guy you want to have a beer with. He's the guy that knows the best barbecue joint in town. And if you're stranded on the side of the road with a flat, Nathan's probably going to be the guy that pulls over to help you out. Another thing that you should know about Nathan is that he loves golf and he really loves his players. His journey is full of twists and turns, but this is a guy that bet on himself and his passion for coaching, and it led him back to Texas Tech, where it all started for him as a player. As we speak, he's coaching right alongside head coach Greg Sands with hopes to bring a national championship back to Lubbock, Texas. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Let's jump in. Nathan, you're at the back of the range. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Ben. How are you? I'm doing good. Just kind of getting ramped up and ready for uh, for regionals. And I'm not going to be there, of course. But uh, I think uh, I think your team should make an appearance there at regionals again. I think uh, probably twenty some odd uh, uh, consecutive appearances for uh, for the Red Raiders. But we're here, kind of the the few weeks beforehand. And uh, just saw you at Big 12. I'm assuming you're sitting somewhere a little bit warmer than where we were in Hutchinson, Kansas. That is very factual. I'm sitting in much better weather than Hutchinson, Kansas, and I'm sure you are too. I think you're even in Canada right now, which is probably better weather than Hutchinson, Kansas. Yeah, I'm at an undisclosed location, but uh, yeah, I am in Canada as we speak. But yeah, much much nicer here than Hutchinson. That was probably... Um, I mean, I always revert back to thinking about the Jones Cup weather we get, but Jones Cup was gorgeous in January this year. I'm thinking there's a good chance that the Big 12 conference was the most challenging weather I was in all uh, all this season. Is that pretty close for, for you guys? That is true, but I will say, to be fair, that is the best weather we've ever gotten in Hutchinson, Kansas, because usually... <laughs> usually there's some rain involved. Usually there's some sleet. There's even been snow um, there's been rounds canceled because of snow. So, you know, honestly getting, getting 20 to 25 mile an hour wind there and 50 to 60 degrees. That's, that's a, that's a win. And then a pretty, we're going to talk a lot about your coaching history. You're talking about your playing history, but um, you're, you're a, you're a veteran coach. Talk to me about what, <laughs> what kind of advice do you give a player when it's uh, when you have sleet? Like, what do you do in that situation? Or or do you just stay in the clubhouse and wait for them to post a score and then talk to them about it later? What I want to do is stay in the clubhouse and <laughs> collect scorecards at the end of the day. I think we're all kidding ourselves if we don't uh, say that. But, you know, there is there's so much power in faking it until you make it. And if you can, if you can embrace that weather and tell yourself that, remind yourself of the reasons why you're going to beat people in that weather because everybody's going to be a little bit negative about it. Um, that's all you can do to really keep yourself in the right frame of mind. It's so easy to go. The easy route would be to just, you know, complain about bad bounces or the wind taking a ball or whatever may happen when conditions get like that. But, um, all you can do is just tell yourself that, that you want that and that you want to play in that and that you believe that you're better than everybody else in that type of weather. And that's really all you can do. And, and you tell yourself that enough, you kind of start to believe it. I think that's uh, that, that, well, I mean, that goes along with the same lines of uh, realizing that everyone's playing in the same conditions, all those kind of mantras that we try and communicate to ourselves and to others saying, Hey, it's, it's like this for everyone. And who's just going to accept it and move on and uh, get the most out of their game on that day. All the, all the cliches, all the candy. The- yeah, exactly. Well, you have, um, we, we always like to kind of get a little information about where, where people start in the game. And, uh, you're a native of, uh, of Hallsville, Texas. And before asking how you got into the game, what's the worst weather you played in, in Hallsville, Texas growing up as a kid? So Hallsville is in East Texas for, for people that don't know. I grew up in West Texas, Southwest Texas. My dad was an oil and gas. So we bounced around. And so when I was, I guess in fourth grade, we moved up to East Texas. So I went from not seeing a tree to being surrounded by trees and, um, it's humid, it's hot. 
it, it rarely ever gets below freezing. There might be one or two days below freezing. So the worst weather you're going to get there is just playing in a downpour, um, which you need to get used to. I mean, if you're over in East Texas, you just, if you want to play golf, you know, you're going to play in some rain. So that's probably as bad as maybe 45 degrees and raining, which sucks. I wouldn't do it today. I mean, no, nobody's going to make me play in that anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get into the game? Cause I mean, you're, I'm thinking Texas, obviously, I mean, any, anyone that I talk to from Texas, you know, I'm thinking football and, um, and golf doesn't necessarily jump out right away. I mean, it, it, was it a, was it a fixture in Hallsville or as you grew up or did you kind of get into the game more so in, in West Texas? My brother, I have a brother, he's four years older than me and he played golf while we were out in West, Ozona, Texas is the name while we were out in West Texas. And he was a little bit of a phenom there, you know. Now, granted, Ozona, Texas is uh, like 2,000 people, so he's the only golfer in town anyway. But So he was kind of a, a phenom for that area, And but I didn't play. I was the I was the typical nerd outfielder that picked dandelions while the baseball game was going on. Um, so we moved – actually, you know, we moved up to East Texas, and dad, my dad got transferred because of work. And two doors down, was, we were neighbors with – a guy named Jeff Maggart who played on tour for forever. We were neighbors with Jeff Maggart's best friend. Okay. So for whatever reason, we started spending some time with them. They had kids that were similar age to us. Um, and, and they invited us to go play golf a few times. My dad was looking to join the local club. So we went out as a guest um, and played with them to see if we liked it. And, and I don't know what it was, but it was just, I can remember that round. It was kind of that day that, that I finally kind of found something that I wanted to do and maybe found something that I was good at. And from that day on, I mean, Jeff Maggard's been my favorite player ever since for whatever reason, he's probably the epitome of a journeyman. I mean, half the people probably don't know who he is, but, um, you know, great golf swing, kind of the epitome of a journeyman type guy on, on tour. And but, but from that day forward, I just, I played golf all the time. I mean, I just, you couldn't get me off the course. My parents would drop me off in the morning, pick me up when they were done for work. And I mean, it's all, all I wanted to do. And then I turned into a, turned into a golf nerd and my brother went on to play, you know, he played every sport. He was a great athlete. I'm not a great athlete, but I just, uh, I kept practicing and grinding at golf and, and, uh, but that was kind of where it all started was just getting to know those people, um, getting a little bit more plugged into the game. And next thing you know, I kind of found it fascinating. That's actually a really great person to have as a role model because I would, you know, I mean, I know who Jeff Maggard is and, you know, you know, maybe a journeyman, but still he did play in a Ryder cup if I remember correctly. And, you know, I I remember he was top 10 in us opens left and right back there in the nineties. Oh, I I remember right. I'd have to double check. He, I think he got runner-up in every major except for the British Open. He actually won the first ever WGC event. Yeah, he won the first ever event that was played. The playoff was under artificial light. They they brought out a bunch of lights so they could get a playoff done. So he's kind of got a neat story, and I think he played in two or three Ryder Cups. So yeah, I I know he's I, that, but I guess what I'm getting at is also with like that's one of those guys that. You, you get to see that with with hard work, you don't necessarily have to have this, this, this incredible career or this, these incredible natural gifts 
that's got to be, uh, you know, because really this is not the prototypical six foot two bomber that everyone thinks of when they think of, of a PGA Tour player. You know, this is a guy that probably had to just dig it out of the dirt and get the most out of his his um, his game as possible. And that's a great person to kind of look up, look up to when you're getting into the game. Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of been attracted to those type, those type players. I mean, like the Paul Goitas of the world yeah. I mean, guys, for whatever reason, they've just always kind of appealed to me and I've always respected those guys. Man, would Goitos almost beat Garcia the players? That made me sick when he couldn't get that done. That was, that was heartbreaking. Gosh, damn. I didn't think we were going to bring up bad memories, but we sure did. Um, all right, so you played junior golf in Texas. Obviously, it's a hotbed, and um, I guess you're as you're kind of matriculating through the junior ranks, you know, playing in high school. There comes a point in time where you need to go play some college golf. And and what's so great about this story is that right now you're coaching, you're an assistant at Texas Tech under the guy that you played under at Texas Tech about a little over ten years ago. So when did you first meet your your soon to be coach, and I guess now uh, you know the head coach, obviously Texas Tech. So when did you first meet Coach Sands? It's pretty interesting. I, you know, like I said earlier, I was originally from West Texas, and Texas Tech and and West. I mean, that's that's just the biggest thing going on in West Texas. Everybody, you know, everybody loved Texas Tech. So I mean, I've got pictures of me when I was four years old with Texas Tech stuff. My first golf bag ever when I first started playing was a Texas Tech bag. Um, it's kind of cool to think about, but, um, so anyway, playing junior golf, like you said, in Texas, I actually was a part of that era of, of playing with, uh, Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler and Anthony Pellucci and some guys that were really, really good. Jordan Spieth was in my class. Um, so I actually, you know, it was, it's really neat to think about some of the guys that I got to grow up playing with. And at the time I was kind of. I don't want to say I was in their league, but, but, you know, I was pretty competitive at that time. And so it felt like we were playing together all the time. Um, Scotty and I were, were teammates in the Jackie Burke cup, which is kind of like the Ryder cup. Sure. Um, yeah. Texas, we played in that several times together, had some really great matches. Um, and, and he and I are, are still, are still decent enough friends. I know his sister pretty well. And then Will, Will Zalatoris and I played in the four ball every year together and, um, I mean, I've got pictures of us. We'd have matching loudmouth golf pants on. I mean, it was totally ridiculous. But you Feel free to send that photo over anytime you want to, Nathan. Any Anytime <laughs> we can get any dirt on Will Zalatoris here at the back oh. of the range, we, we try and do that as much as possible. You know, Will, Will, is, Will is a really great guy. He actually – I haven't talked to him in years, and he's at Merido now. And a couple of years ago, we were at Merido my first year back at Tech, and – he saw me from 50 yards away and he lit up and, and smiled and came right at me and was so excited to see me. And that just kind of is a testament to the guy that he is. Um, he's, he's, uh, everybody talks about how good a guy Scott is. And it's true. Those guys are great guys, but Will Zalatoris is, is a really great guy as well. And, and, um, he remembers who his friends were and, yeah. and we be buddies and, and he wasn't going to leave me hanging, which I think is really cool. Yeah, big big fan of his. Um, well, he's going to probably hear this, so that's unfortunate. But no, big big fan of his. Uh, he always keeps in touch, and uh, he, gosh, he's been on the podcast three times. And I know he's uh, nursing an injury right now, but he'll be out there uh, sooner rather than later. So you get to so again before we get off topic. So how do, so we're talking about tech, and basically, right. I guess playing for your dream school is that fair? 
Yeah, that's right. So I actually, I emailed Coach Sands a few times. I actually didn't hear anything back for a while. Um, so I kind of moved forward with a few other places. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was kind of all over the board. I didn't know, like I was getting some decent power five looks and getting some pretty good mid-major looks. I really didn't know which, which way I wanted to go. Um, and was actually, I was pretty much, I mean, I'll, I'll call it like it is. I was pretty much committed to Texas M and I went out and I played an event in Phoenix in AJGA and I almost won it. I kind of faltered down the stretch. I ended up getting sick, but I had a really good week at a, at a good event in Phoenix and coach Hans kind of got in the mix late. Um, and then a couple of weeks later he came to the Byron Nelson jr. To watch me play. And then he actually came all the way to Hallsville. Um, you know, it, it was a little bit more common then than it is now, but did an in-home visit, had dinner with me and my family. Oh, wow. <laughs> made an offer, you know, made an offer. And, and at the time I was still, I was a little bit farther down the road with like Texas A&M and some people, but my parents being as wise as they were said, you know what, that, that guy came all the way here to do an in-home visit with us. And the very least we can do is, is take a visit out there and, and go see the place. And like I said, I was, I was pretty, pretty well verbally committed to Texas A&M at the time. And, and I came out here to Lubbock and I guess just being from West Texas, I mean, the air feels different. Um, there's, there's kind of something about West Texas that's really endearing. And so once I got out here and, and visited campus and played the golf course, I mean, it was a, it was a no brainer. And I, and I committed on that, on that visit. Um, so it was kind of a, we, we flipped the script on A&M. Now A&M probably had the last laugh because I really didn't turn out to be that good. But, um, but you know, it's uh, it was my dream school, and it ended up working out. And, and really a lot of the most important relationships that I have in my life came from Texas Tech. So um, it ended up, you know, being the biggest blessing for me. And you mentioned, like, I know you said it just kind of a, as a joke, you know, you didn't end up a, much of a player, but so you, you're, you're great. You have a great, solid junior career. You're playing with guys like Zalatoris. You're playing with guys like Scheffler. You go to, to tech, you know, you, this is like you said, it's kind of your dream school. And do you, I guess you're in a, in a unique spot as a coach now where you see freshmen coming in. I mean, you've had multiple coaching stints. We'll get to that in a minute. But you've seen freshmen upon freshmen upon freshmen every single year come through. What are maybe some of the things that you kind of impress upon freshmen to do correctly that maybe you struggled with as a freshman or a sophomore? You know, I I was a I was the type of Texas kid. I didn't I didn't have a lot of lessons in my life. I was a pretty raw player. Um but I had really good hands. I had a good short game. I mean, I, I was able to just kind of make do and get it done. And I got to school and got with a few of these kids that were way more polished than I was. And it's easy to lose sight of what it is that got you there. It's easy to lose sight of what you're really good at because then you see these other players and you envy kind of what they're good at. Um, so what I, what I failed at was I immediately went into our hitting bays. I tried to get my golf swing better. I tried to do X, Y, Z. And instead of really 
being proud. You know, obviously there's a time and place to do those things, but I totally neglected that, you know, there were things that I was great at that some of these other guys weren't as good as me at, but I didn't, I didn't choose to focus on those things. I choose, you know, I chose to focus on some of the things, the shortcomings that I didn't have. And I wanted to have a better looking golf swing and hit it farther and, and, and some things. And, and it really just got me into a bad spot because I, you know, I got into a technical spot where eventually I just, I had too much going on. Um, you know, what I would, what I do tell guys is as they come in is, you know, we're there to help you get better at what you need to get better at, but you just cannot lose sight of the things that you're already great at that get you there. I mean, everybody's got some type of an X factor that helps them shoot the scores that are good enough to be here. Um, It's just so easy to get caught up in, man, that guy can hit a, that guy can hit a three iron like a butterfly into that green. Well, I don't have the club head speed to hit that shot and I need to do this and that in order to do that. If I can't do that, I can't be as good as him. Well, that's just not true. Yeah, Those things just aren't true. Um, or, or, you know, the thing I see all the time is that I think is such a myth in in golf in general. And I think there's some guys on tour that, that really affirm this. And uh, Claude Harmon came to our coaches convention several years ago and talked about how there's only a handful of guys on tour that consistently work the ball both ways. Well, the first thing a freshman comes in who's been hitting a draw his whole life because that's the only way that he's figured out how to hit the ball far is by hitting a sling and draw. And they immediately want to come to school and turn into a fader of the golf ball. Well, there's a lot that can come with that. And there's a lot of bad that can come with that. Um, I think it's, it's totally overrated to be able to be really great at working the ball both ways. I think it's undervalued to be great at one shot. Um, obviously, you need to know how to hit shots. Sure. And there are there are times and places in a golf tournament where you need to go up and hit a fade. I mean, I'm not saying that, but to, on every hole to to be trying to hit a different shot all the time over the course of a round, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of a myth too. I mean, they're the really, really good players like Ludwig now. You know, Ludwig just tries to hit the ball. If anything, he's going to hit a little draw. Like he rarely, he rarely ever tries to do anything with the golf ball that he really doesn't have to do. And I've got guys on the team who try to do too much with the golf ball. I mean, there's just there's traps you can fall into as a young player that you think you have to be able to do to be great. Um, and a lot of that stuff true, but unfortunately, a lot of young guys they have to learn those lessons on their own. You know, sometimes hearing it from from somebody who's been through that isn't quite enough and some guys are accepting of those lessons and they're they're willing to listen and other guys fortunately have to learn those lessons on their own no it's it's a great point um i'm really glad you brought that up and you know again like some of the things that i see like there's nothing wrong if you don't have a great number instead of trying to you know take something off or or get something a little bit more out of a of a club nothing wrong with putting in the middle of that green and giving yourself a, a you know a stress-free 25 footer for birdie if you miss it tap it in and move on there's nothing wrong with that i mean there's there's a lot of really good unathletic players on the pga tour <laughs> just like i would consider myself to be unathletic that they hit a draw and or they hit a fade and if they're a drawer of the golf ball and it's a right flag they're going to aim at the flag and drop back to the middle 
And if they're a fader of the ball and it's a left flag, they're going to aim at the flag and fade it back to the middle. I mean, they're not trying to all of a sudden hit something that they're not comfortable with because it is perceived as what, you know, that shot calls for. Um, I just, you know, I think those guys, you have to be great at one shot before you can be good at two shots, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a lot of guys on the PGA Tour, L- ladies on the LPGA Tour. I mean, any professional tour, there's a, people that make a lot of money by firing at the middle of the green 18 times. Right. So, um, Especially college golf, when you're playing five count four, I mean, you know, you're, you're not trying to take away from anybody's strengths, but I mean, if, if your ultimate goal in college is, is for the team to be as good as possible, I mean, there is a difference in team golf and individual golf in some sense. Well, and these guys putt so damn well that, you know, I mean, I see guys rolling in stuff all the time. I see ladies rolling in too. And it seems like give yourself that opportunity instead of short shotting yourself. And really now you're in trouble just trying to make par. Sure. Sure. So, but, like I said, sometimes you know these guys have to learn their own lessons, and we're just there to to help assist them through it. Feels like sometimes, sometimes you're, you're just watching them fail and just hoping they come out on the other side of it better. Yeah, no, that's well. I mean, those are those are the things you have to try and do as you're as you're preparing them to to win. I I, I want to definitely get into more about your coaching, but we're not done yet with your playing career. Now, you you didn't finish your playing career at Texas Tech. You transferred to Stephen F. Austin. Right now, and you know this, the transfer portal is a, is a big deal right now in college athletics, and golf is no exception. It seems like right about now for those teams that are not in the postseason, um, you know, names are popping up onto the transfer portal left and right. What was your experience transfer, transferring to Stephen F. Austin? And, and I guess, did you find that it was a better fit, at least as a player, for you than Texas Tech? Right. So I... It wasn't, you know, I had a, I broke my shoulder at what would have been my first college tournament. Um, I redshirted my freshman year. The next year, I didn't qualify all fall. I finally qualified in the spring. I won the qualifier to go to Hawaii. It would have been my, my first event. Um, and we get there and we're playing around in the waves. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Texas kid. I have no clue how to like dive under a wave or, you know, things that people do. So anyway, a wave's coming in and, and it's crashing down on me. And I just, I just sat there and watched it, watched it happen. And, and it flipped me upside down and pushed me down into the bottom and I broke my shoulder and, and I never quite, I never quite fully recovered from that. I think I tried to push it a little bit too far. I was supposed to sit out for like six months. I'm hitting balls and playing after three months. Um, you know, I, I was just trying, you know, your typical just dumb Texas kid who, who thinks they're tougher than everything and trying, trying to push it on. And that's not the, you know, that's not the reason that I had to transfer. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, like I just said, it was, you know, it took me all the way until the spring to finally qualify. So it wasn't like I was, you know, really, really doing great as far as compared to my peers. But but since that injury, I lost a little bit of distance. I mean, it definitely changed some of the things I was doing in my golf swing. And, you know, I think I knew, you know, I can actually remember freshman year at Texas Tech telling some of my teammates how I wanted to coach. And I can even, I mean, this is fake, but I can go as far as saying, I can remember telling them how I wanted to coach at Texas Tech and be Coach Sands' assistant. 
because I just thought it was the coolest job ever. As a freshman? As a freshman. Wow. Uh, so, so I knew pretty quickly that I didn't think – I don't think I was convinced that the pro golf thing was maybe necessarily for me, but I, I really found a lot of passion in what Coach Sands was doing, and I just thought it seemed like the coolest job in the world, um, which obviously you know isn't, isn't a recipe of success for somebody that's going to go on the PGA Tour if they're already thinking that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, you, you're kind of painting your own uh, path early on, and you're taking yourself right. away from – trying to play right. professionally. But but when I decided to transfer, I, you know, it was one of those things I still wasn't, I wasn't ready to totally give up on playing golf. Um, I knew that, I knew that I needed to get out there and play more golf. I needed to, to be relied on. I needed to be counted on, on a team that needed me. So, you know, I went to a place like Stephen F. Austin, which I knew that was going to be the case. I didn't, you know, I didn't try to bite off more than I could do in the sense of like, I, I wasn't going to transfer and make the mistake of still going somewhere where maybe it was necessarily going to take my absolute best golf just to get on the road. Right. You know, I wanted, I wanted to know that I was going to be a, a key part of the team playing every week. Um, because at this point I just had a couple of years left to play and, and that's what, that's just what I needed to do for me. So I went there and it was great. You know, it's mid-major college golf. It's not quite at the same level, but um, met some of my best friends there. We actually had a, you know, for mid-major college golf and for Stephen F. Austin, we were in the top hundred in the rankings. I mean, you know, we weren't bad, um, and we had a great time. and And it was uh, it was a great thing for me. Um, and I'm glad I I'm glad I. I didn't make the mistake of trying to transfer somewhere that was, you know, not too far behind Texas Tech and and still just struggling to make the lineup. I mean, I knew that if I was going to really give golf, if I was going to find passion again in golf to maybe even consider trying to play after college, I needed to be out there teeing it up every week and just yeah. seeing better I could get. It's a great thing for everyone listening to keep in mind. Not not every single player is destined to play for a Texas Tech or a Texas or a Stanford. I mean, there's so many other playing opportunities out there. And there's, I mean, people make it on the PGA Tour from mid-major schools. Happens all the time. There's, oh, no, yeah. there's nothing wrong with identifying, okay, uh, do I want to ride the bench with a fancy golf bag and a fran- fancy gear that I never wear in a tournament? Or do I want to wear out a golf bag and wear out the gear because I'm using it all the time on the road and I'm a key integral part of this team? Yeah, exactly. A lot of guys making money who went to Drake or went to wherever. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, I think there's a guy from Drake that uh, has won a couple of majors and is our Ryder Cup captain right now. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, let's talk about your your first gig out of out of college your first job you didn't want to get a real job did you i didn't i didn't want to get a real job i, I got a real job no I, I know you got a real job but i mean <laughs> you knew right away that okay i'm I, i'm i'm getting into coaching this is this is my calling yeah so i uh you know everybody's got a coach mcgraw story <laughs> oh I, uh, man we can't get through an episode without a coach mcgraw story everybody's got a mike mcgraw story which is a testament to him and who he is but you know, he, he didn't really know me that well, but he's got such a great memory that he, he knew who I was. And, and I called him and I told him, I said, you know, this is what, as I'm graduating, I said, Hey, I really, this is what I really want to do. Um, you know, 
what what can I do? And in his wisdom, he really he really did a good job of explaining to me how difficult it, it, it is to get into college coaching because it is. It's a fraternity. Um, once you're in, you're in, but it's very hard to kind of kick down that door sometimes without just going and being a volunteer assistant somewhere. Yep. Um, you know, so, so we talked about it for a while and, and luckily he kind of scared me. He kind of scared me away from it a little bit, which, um, I think really in, in a weird way showed me how much I really wanted to do it. So I actually, because of how, you know, I left Texas Tech, obviously, to play more golf, but I never stopped loving Texas Tech. I never stopped loving Coach Sands. I mean, it was purely a just a decision on me to play more golf, but but I love Texas Tech. And so anyway, I moved back to, to Lubbock, and I actually started out out of school. I mean, I was just working in the, in the ticket office, I mean, slinging women's basketball season tickets and doing a few marketing ploys here or there, selling halftime shows, and I mean – doing all kinds of stuff. And, and at the time I'm thinking, Oh, you know, I'm going to be the next AD at Texas Tech. I got a job here. You know, like, you know, I was just, I was just glad to be back and glad to be involved in athletics. And so Charlie Ewing, who is the head women's coach at Mississippi state now has one of the best teams in the country. He was the, I played with his brother at tech, um, Finley Ewing. So me, me and Charlie knew each other, but not, not, not really well. Well, Charlie had decided he didn't want to get into the family business and he wanted to coach as well. And he called Coach Sands and Coach Sands gave him a volunteer coaching opportunity. So Finley called me and said, Hey, Charlie's coming out. He's going to work with Coach Sands. And I said, Well, great. I, you know, I'm renting a three bed, you know, one bath, just beater house right out of college. I said, You know, tell him to come move in with me. I mean, I'm living by myself. It'd be great. Let's split rent. And, you know, I'm kind of, Finley will tell you, he told Charlie, I'm, I'm pretty much a wife in those situations. I keep a clean house and I cook. So (laughs) yeah, he told Charlie, he said, Hey, I know you don't know him that well, but you know, you need to move in with this guy. He's going to, he's going to cook you dinner every night and he's going to vacuum and be good. So, so Charlie moved in and, and we immediately hit it off. We're both big outdoorsmen. Um, and we, we quickly became best friends and, so Charlie worked with Coach Sands that year, and towards the end of the year, Dusty Smith got the head men's job at Mississippi State, and he called Charlie to come be his assistant. Well, all year long, Charlie and I, you know, we talked golf, and I was interested in what they were doing. And before he left, he told me, he said, hey, you know, I, I really think you need to be doing this. And so I thought about it, and I ended up, I put my two weeks notice in, and I called Jeff Jenkins, who you met at conference. Yeah. Was the head coach at Louisiana Tech. Well, Jeff Jenkins was the assistant coach at Texas Tech when I was there. And I said, hey, coach, this is what I really want to do. I've known it for a while, and, and I've kind of been running from it because I've, I've been afraid of being a volunteer and not making any money, but I'm ready to just, I'm ready to just give it a go. And, and he said, great, you know, come on. So he invited me to come on and be a volunteer assistant at Louisiana Tech. So anyway, this is probably late April, early May. And early June, Coach Jenkins calls me. And this is a year after they win a conference championship. He calls me and says, hey, I just got fired. And I don't, you know, 
he didn't know what to do. He was just, he felt, I don't even think he called his wife first. I think he called me first because he felt so bad because, you know, I had quit my job. I was ready to come be a volunteer assistant with him. You know, he, you know, it wasn't a perfect fit at his vision and Louisiana tech's vision for the program just weren't quite right. And, uh, like I said, the year after they win a conference champion, I'm thinking it's a safe play. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and he calls me and gets fired and he says, Hey, look, you know, and, and I have a buddy in Monroe, which is about 30 minutes from Ruston where Louisiana tech is. So that's where I was planning on living was with my friend and just commuting. And he said, Hey, I know you're going to live in Monroe. Let me call coach Baldwin at ULM and see if he would be interested in, in taking you on. And he did. And he got me an opportunity at, at ULM. So, you know, really coach Jenkins and, and all that, what he was going through was still looking out for me and, and got me that opportunity at, at ULM to go there. So really my first gig was, was a, a short lived volunteer assistant role at ULM before I then later take a, a head JUCO job. You know, it's, it's funny you're talking about this and, and your, your journey in coaching doesn't happen well, first of all, it doesn't happen without Coach McGraw kind of sitting you down and explaining what this journey is going to look like, most likely. Um, but you mentioned the fraternity. That's kind of the, the sense that I get is that the people that have these head coaching positions, the people that have been doing it for years and years, they're accepting to let people in. But you really have to prove that you understand that this is a very long journey. It's going to be filled with a lot of, you know, you know, tough steps along the way. And, you know, like the kind of the saying goes, they don't suffer fools. I mean, you you have to prove that you are going to be doing everything you can to, to help a program and help a kid get better because you love it so much. I remember one thing, you know, just expanding on Coach McGraw. I remember one thing he told me that, you know, I think everybody would benefit from and I surely have is, is you know, because he had a he didn't have the easiest journey getting into being a college coach either. I think he basically had to beg Mike Holder to, to finally give him an opportunity. But he said, you know, it's going to be hard, and, and and you just have to make your yourself totally inexpendable to to a place in yeah. order to make that they they just can't afford to not have you there. He said, whether that's you know going and to, to the basketball games and helping the helping the staff clean up the gymnasium after after a game he said whatever it looks like you just have to make sure that they can't afford to not have you there and and that was kind of the approach that I took um, as I was just looking for for anybody to give me a chance because you know if you're not a great player in college you know if you're not an all-american or if you don't have some professional golf experience like it can be difficult to for for you know to get somebody to really seriously consider to give you an opportunity to all of a sudden start coaching these guys. Yeah. Um. So it's you know, stuff for some guys it's easier than others, and for me, I kind of felt like I had to start you know from square square zero and 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 move up from there because I just didn't have an illustrious playing career. Well, you're you're talking of okay, so so this is the where this is where the journey gets really interesting and fascinating. So. You know, everyone listening right now says, all right, this is a guy that just kind of, you know, went to played some college golf at a mid-major and kind of begged, barred and steeled his way into a volunteer assistant job. And he's cleaning up the gym and slinging tickets for women's basketball. How do you find yourself at Indian Hills uh, Community College in Ottumwa, Iowa, and then become a 
<laughs> national coach of the year. So where, where, where the hell does this happen? Out of, I mean, out of nowhere, I guess. I mean, talk to me about this. So first of all, how does the opportunity come about that you get to go to be a head coach when truthfully, you know, truthfully, you just don't have the experience yet. Oh, I know. So that had to be scary as shit. Oh, so coach Sands at the time when I was first starting to volunteer at ULM, his assistant job opened up. Clearly I was, you know, I was going to do everything I can to, to at least get him to consider it. I mean, looking back, I'm like, well, there's no way. And there wasn't. Um, so, you know, that, that assistant job opens up and he just says, Hey, look, it's not the right time. You're doing the right thing. You know, you, you need to keep doing what you're doing. Stay on this path. Well, a couple of weeks later, and I see, you know, there's there's a there's a website you can kind of see what jobs are open, and I see Indian Hills Community College of Tumwa, Iowa. Well, at the time, um, they were the I mean they were they were a powerhouse in junior college golf, and I thought, well, there I mean there's just no way they've won they've won three out of the last five national championships like. You know, I don't know, you know, I don't know whether to scratch my watch or wind my ass when it comes to college golf. And so I, I didn't even think about it. And Coach Sands calls me and says, hey, this job's open. You know, you, you ought to, you know, they're really good. And, and I didn't because, uh, you know, like I said, I was like, well, there's just no way they're really good. You know, they're not going to give an opportunity to somebody like me. Well, like a month had passed and all of a sudden we're, we're three, three weeks away from school starting and they still hadn't filled that position. So I decided to just go ahead and apply. And within, within 45 minutes of applying, they call me. Holy cow. They talked to me for a couple of minutes and they say, well, Hey, look, we really like the fact that you played for coach Sands at Texas tech. Um, you know, I think they're just BSing me because they were desperate. Um, and, and they say, Hey, I, you know, I think we're going to be interested in bringing you up for an interview. We'll get back with you in a couple of days, yada, yada. So sure enough, a few days later, they call me up and invite me to come up for an interview. And, you know, at this point we're like two weeks away or one week away from, from school start from their season starting. So I get up there and, and I go to an interview and, and it goes pretty well. Um, they introduce me to some of the guys. I tell them a little bit about my experience with Coach Sands and, and you know, how I kind of want to implement those, those same principles to, to this program and treat it like a Power 5 program and, and do all those things. And, I, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about, but it was good enough. I mean, and they <laughs> needed somebody. I mean, honestly, if the timing wouldn't have been perfect, I, I don't get that job ever. But they really needed somebody, and, and, and I was single and young, and, and I could move. You know, as soon as they told me, yes, I could come. So um, that ended up being what happened. And, you know, at, at, at the junior college level, I mean, I'll tell you that they paid me $28,500, and they gave me a dorm on campus. So, oh, my God. <laughs> welcome, so to I, co- welcome to your first yeah. head coaching job in college golf. So I had a, uh, I had a handicap accessible dorm on campus. Sounds, that sounds about right. As much as I know yeah, you, that's really fitting. That's and, terrible. Uh, that's that, that we need to edit that out. That's awful. <laughs> so anyway, they, they give me this dorm on campus. Um, so that, you know, 
they were able to stretch that that income all of a sudden was a lot better sure because i didn't have i didn't have living expenses and you know there, there i go all of a sudden i'm started and and this is like i said this is a place that Year before they finished runner up in the national championship. The year before that, they'd won three, or well, they won three in a row. Um, so all of a sudden, I'm just diving head first into a place that's used to being really, really good and had really, really good players. And I'll tell you, on that team, I had a kid go to Missouri. I had had a kid go to Iowa. I had a kid go to Kansas State. I had a kid go to Arkansas State. I had a kid go to Illinois State. I had, had a kid go to SFA. I mean. It was very much, I mean, it, it, it would have been a very competitive D1 team. I mean, it was a great, great team, and that's nothing to do with me. I mean, I didn't recruit those guys, but, you know, I will say I, I've, I've thought about it over the past because, you know, in the time you kind of say, well, you know what, I didn't recruit those guys. But that was a team the year before. I think they had like a 2.8 team GPA. That's not very good. We had a 3.7 that year. That sounds a lot better. So I still, as time goes by, I remind myself, say, you know what, I need to give myself credit because I did make, I did make those kids get better. Um, the guy, the guy who ended up being our best player, he was the number one Juco player in the country that year, the year before he was the five man on that team. And so, so I, I kind of tell myself as time goes on, you know, you have to remind yourself like, Hey, you did a good job with, with some of those guys. And, and, you know, early on, Coach Sands gave me some really great advice. He said, hey, you're going to be a young coach, and they're going to test you, and they're going to see what they can get away with. And you're just going to have to be the bad guy for a while and really set the set the tone early. And I did. And, you know, those kids were at, at junior college for a reason. You know, mo- most of the time it was grades, and they just maybe needed a little bit more discipline in their lives. And And I was able to kind of provide that early, and I wasn't – I wasn't their best friend early, but but by the end of that year, um, you know, we, we won that national championship, and and I got another job. You know, they created a position for me to come back to ULM, a paid position this time. Um, and every, yeah, I uh, excuse me, I get emotional thinking about it now. But you know, when, you know, but by the end of that year, when I call those guys to to tell them that I'd gotten that job at, at ULM and I was leaving, um, everybody cried. Wow. So that was, uh, it, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to not look back on that year. I mean, no matter, I think, you know, obviously the team we have this year at Texas Tech, I mean, we can, we can win the whole thing too, but, um, it's hard to not look back on that year and think that, um, that could very well be the most special um, experience in my life for sure. How old were you when you, when you, that year? Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I'm 30 now. So I guess I would have been 24. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, the whole point, the whole thing of those players you didn't recruit that, that to me, that doesn't mean anything because you can recruit all you want to, but at some point you got to get them, everyone to perform. So they, they, you, you get this, you inherit this team, but 24 years old head coach and then win a national championship and raise the team GPA by a full point. You know, we, uh, that's a hell. I mean, I don't care what you do the rest of your coaching career. 
That's that's incredible. I mean, the awards, the trophies, and all that, but that's that's just an, that's incredible. That team, uh, we won ten out of eleven tournaments that year. We were twenty five and zero against Division one schools that year. Okay, so it was, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to take credit for a lot of that. I mean, Rob Murray, who's the head coach at Long Beach State, now he recruited those kids. I mean, he did. He he gave me something special, and like I said, I have to remind myself that I I did a lot of things to to also make that happen. But his fingerprints were were all over that. But I, I only bring that stuff up just to say how special. I mean, in my mind, that that was maybe the best junior college team ever. And again, I, that's not because of me. Rob Murray recruited those guys, but but you know, I, I had my small part in that. But that was a really a special group of guys. And I just want to, if even one of them listens to this podcast, I mean, I just want them to know, you know, how special they were. That's a great, that's a great story. And I, and I love, gosh, I love the fact that you mentioned 28,500 and you're in the dorms again. Yeah. Yeah. Juco life right there, man. You're driving. Yeah. We didn't fly one time. We're driving everywhere. Matter of fact, we drove to, we drove to Lubbock to play in Lubbock Christian's event. There's still two feet of snow on the ground in Ottumwa, Iowa. And we're driving to Lubbock in February just to get to play golf on some grass. And we're playing at the Rawls course in, uh, in Lubbock Christian's event. And, and on top of that, that national championship we won was at the Rawls course, which is our home course at Texas tech. So, um, just kind of, kind of, you know, kind of a neat, just added part of that story. The fact that we won the national championship on, Texas Tech's home course. Seems fitting, doesn't it? Yeah. So not a lot of agents, NIL deals, and private jets in the JUCO life. Not a lot. <laughs> not at all. But, you know, going back to Mike McGraw and, you know, kind of his, his telling me that you just need to make sure that you're indisposable. I mean, what I did for extra income when I was there was I worked I worked basketball games. I worked the men's basketball games. I broke down the stadium. Um, put the bleachers up, help clean up trash. And those were all things that I was doing on an hourly hourly rate, you know, just to, just to keep making more money. But, you know, I was, I was proud to do it because I was proud of that, that school. It was a really great community, but that kind of goes back to the Mike McGraw's lesson. It's like, Hey, you can't be too proud to do anything. Um, you know, I, I even think to this day, if they ask Mike McGraw to, to go sweep the gym floor after a basketball game, you, you better believe he'd be out there doing it. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Wow. That's a great start. I mean, that's the kind of start that you want to have in coaching that is going to keep you humble and, and get you, you know, get you to where you want to go. So, so you go to ULM after this, and then at some point after that, the, the position opens up for you at Texas tech and, I guess how can you think back to how much of a different person you were this time around trying to get the job as an assistant as opposed to the first time? Obviously, I had a little bit more experience. Sure, I had uh, I had a few more skins on the wall. We we had some good teams at ULM. That's historically has not been a very good program. Um, we got them into the top eighty five in the rankings. Which when Coach Baldwin took over, Coach Baldwin has a great resume in the mid major world. He was at Southeastern Louisiana for 
over 20 years. He had him in the top 25 in the rankings multiple times. Um, he's a really, really great recruiter, a great fundraiser, and he was the perfect fit for ULM. And he kind of saw something in me. Um, we, we really worked worked well together. We, we built a, a million dollar plus facility on campus. Um, I mean, things that have just never even been dreamed of there. And we got that team really good. And this is a sore spot. I'm not picking on coach Limbaugh, but, but probably the highlight of my time at ULM is we're at Mississippi state's event. And Charlie is at the time, he's the assistant men's coach there. So my best friend's the assistant men's coach. So I've t- I take, you know, number 98 ranked ULM up there and we play great the first day and we've got the lead and Vanderbilt's there. They're ranked four Mississippi state's home track. Ole Miss is there. They're, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a really good event for us. And we go into that final round with the lead and we totally limped it in. And I've got a true freshman from South Africa named Otto Van Binder. And, we're on the last hole. We're tied with Ole Miss, and the last hole at, at uh, Old Waverly is pretty tight. Um, it's three wood down the middle. There's water left. You know, you can't really miss it right, but everybody hits a good drive. We're tied with Ole Miss. And the Ole Miss guy hits it to about 25 feet, and Otto's standing up over the ball. He's got 172 yards in. He's got a nine iron. It's kind of hot. He hits it pretty far, so he can, he can hit nine iron that far. And he stands over the ball, and he's about to pull the trigger, and he backs off. And I'm thinking he's just nervous. You know, I had I didn't tell him what position we were in or, or anything. And and he said, Coach, where are we at? And I said, Well, we're tied with Ole Miss, and Birdie's going to win the golf tournament. And he looked at me, and he said, This is what I live for, Coach. And he stood up over the ball, and he hit it to three and a half feet and goes up there and rolls in a putt for us to win that golf tournament. And it was the first time we'd ever beaten a, a top 10 team, much less a top five team in Vanderbilt. Um, you know, it was just one of those moments. It was like, wow, you know, we won that golf tournament. And I was thinking, geez, I mean, you know, what on earth did we just do? Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, to, to take that program that's hardly ever been inside the top 200 and all of a sudden we're doing something just, you know, what a cool and, – and, and for Charlie to be there. Now, granted, you know, obviously Mississippi State didn't want to lose to us, but Charlie was so happy for me. Oh, I uh, bet, he, I bet. He was, he was on the back of that green and was the first guy to give me a hug because he knew, he knew how much that meant to me. Um, but anyway, long story short, um, with Coach Baldwin's help and, um, you know, well, with my help to Coach Baldwin really is the way I should put it, but – he gave me that opportunity and, and just allowed me to be a part of the building of a pretty good mid-major program all of a sudden. Um, and that job at Texas Tech opens up again, and I've kind of got a few things on my resume, and, and uh, but I kind of feel like I'm begging for it again. You know, Coach Sands knew me as a, as a, as a young punk player, so sometimes those are hard things to put out of the back of your mind Yeah, when you go to hire somebody, when you kind of remember them as their college self, so. Um, but anyway, you know, luckily I was able to, the second time around, talk him into giving me a chance. Yeah. I was curious about that dynamic. Cause yeah, he's recruiting you as a kid. He's having dinner with your parents as you, at, at, and you're a high schooler. And, uh, it's, it is kind of crazy though. It's hard to think of coach Sands as that old, which 
he isn't, but it's still, he's been doing it for over 25 years. But yeah, I mean, when you think about that, now you're the assistant, but I guess it's also good because like you, you kind of know what these kids are going through because you are exactly where they are and you know the message that coach Sands is trying to deliver before they even receive it. Since I was so candid about the Indian Hills thing, I'll tell you this part about, you know, getting this job at Texas tech. I mean, since I was so candid about all the money I didn't make in junior college, <laughs> uh, you know, this, this is COVID when, you know, at this time when, when um, coach Sands assistant leaves and he's looking for a new guy, this is all during COVID. So the world is really kind of in shambles. Nobody's really certain what's going on. And, and Texas tech was a little nervous about even committing to hiring an assistant coach because they didn't even know if we were going to, you know, if we were going to have a season again that following year, I mean, yeah. there was a lot there. So understandably so they just, you know, that was, that was something they're like, I, hey, you know, let's, let's wait a while before we, before we do anything because we don't know what's really going on yet. We didn't even know, if, you know, they didn't know if they were going to have a football season again, which obviously financially for these power five schools, I mean, having a football season is a big deal. And um, so there was a lot up in the air and coach Sands was looking at some different guys and, and I just, I wouldn't leave, you know, I wouldn't leave him alone about it. I, I wanted to, I wanted to make him tell me no, I guess. And so I think had it not been during COVID, I don't know if I would have necessarily gotten the job here um, because as it turned out, um, you know, it was getting later and later in the year and the university still was a little bit gun shy about making any more hiring. You know, they were kind of on a hiring freeze because yeah. it was COVID. And Coach Sands called me and said, hey, look, I, you know, I know you really, really want this job. You're passionate about this place. You love Texas Tech. But I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to be able to officially offer you this job. I don't know when I'm going to be able to pay you. And I said, Coach, I don't. I don't care. I know you're going to figure it out for me. I'm coming. If you're if you're going to offer me the job, I'm coming. So I actually, technically, when I originally got hired at Texas Tech, I came on as a volunteer assistant. I left ULM, my paid job at ULM, to come be a volunteer assistant for coach Sands for the first couple of events that fall before they finally, you know, they had a couple of football games, everybody settled down and realized that everything was going to be okay. And then they hired me and I'm not saying that's a, that's a hero story, but um, that's just how much I, you know, like I said, going back to my freshman year, I told the guys on the team, I really wanted to coach and I really wanted to coach with coach Sands. And, you know, that was something that, uh, that I did. I, I quit, you know, I quit a pretty good paid position with the team going pretty good at ULM. And it was probably my job to take as a head coach if I wanted to stay. Yeah. And, and I packed up and I came on to, to Texas tech and, and, you know, worked for free for a couple of months until they finally got, you know, until we were able to get it figured out. That's crazy. I mean, gambling on yourself is one thing, but you're also gambling on, okay, what's the world going to look like? Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, you know, and, and, and like I said, you know, there, there's part of me that thinks he probably knew that I was the only guy that'd be willing to come for. Yeah. Uh, for I mean, a guy that has, you know, a guy with a wife and two kids, that's probably not happening. You know, that's, it's, uh, it's the truth. I probably was the only guy that was maybe willing to come under those circumstances. Um, I'm not saying I would or would not have gotten the job, you know, if things were normal, I, I don't know, but, uh, but I think he knew how much I, 
I love Texas Tech and how much I wanted to, to be there, and uh, and I was willing to, to do whatever that took. Wow, this is uh, I, I mean, this is more than more than uh, this is great. I mean, I just so fascinated by your journey. I mean, there's so many steps along the way where it could have gone in a completely different direction, but you're just so passionate about the game and about coaching that it led you it it led you to Texas Tech after a lot of different turns. You know, I I uh, I don't pretend to think that you know there, there's a lot of guys in this business that are they have a lot of qualities better than mine or they're smarter than I am in a lot of ways, but, um, they don't have the facial hair though. They don't, they don't have that. They don't, not even close. I I, I really, you know, I I care about my players on a level that I'm really proud of and, and, and I'm, I would do anything for them and I, and, you know, I'd do anything for coach Sands and, and I think, you know, part of, you know, that's probably why I'm successful. It's not because it's not because I'm, I'm a great swing coach. It's not because I'm necessarily great at, at any one part of this job, but other than just really caring about my guys and, and really wanting to be there for them. But I mean, at this, at this point, that's really the main thing because at, at their age, college players, they're pretty good about sensing when someone's authentic. And if you can get that communicated to them quickly and they understand they can trust you, you know, that's, that's more important than just about anything. Yeah, that's true, and I think that's why Coach Sands has been so successful. I mean, you know, I think the job he's done here is is just it's really incredible, and and I think that's why we do a pretty good job together because we're both very much um, relationship driven type coaches. And you know, when you're recruiting a kid, like the first thing that we want to do, we we want parents to be involved right out of the bat, you know, right out of the gate, because. I think we know those parents can kind of, you know, they can sniff it out and they know when somebody's being genuine. And there is, there is nobody more genuine than Coach Sands when it comes to, to, to his guys. So it, it's been a good, it's been a good fit, I think, for us. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the the success you've had. I mean, this year's been great. Obviously, um, you know, we'll talk about uh, Mr. Aberg in a second, but you know, great, great win at the Big Twelve match play this year. Um, you know, I know that, uh, well, actually, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the team this year. You know, you win the Big 12 match play in the fall. You beat OU in the finals. And then, you know, just a few weeks ago, OU wins the Big 12 conference title at Prairie Dunes. And now you're actually heading to Norman, Oklahoma for regionals, their home course. You're the number one seed there. So you kind of get another crack at Oklahoma. I know this tournament more so than any other tournament, you know, it's not necessarily about beating someone or hashing up, uh, you know, or or taking care of old rivalries or scores. It's about advancing to the national championship and you can take care of all that stuff there. But uh, what's the current state of the team moving into regionals? We're looking better now. Um, We're really looking as good now as I think we've looked all year. We, We had a great fall. Um, our, our spring has been okay. I think probably if we were to look back as coaches, you know, we go into the big 12 championship as the favorites, um, we're at least, you know, we're the best ranked team, I, I should say. Yeah. But, um, we played a lot of golf going into that tournament. Um, I, I think we could sense, you know, and, and it was showing up in our play. We weren't, we weren't really sharp and Prairie Dunes is, when it's blown 2025 20, like it was, that's a place you need to be pretty sharp. So 
other than Ludwig doing what he did, which was nothing short of um, incredible, we, we just didn't look we didn't look that sharp. And I think that was looking back, we probably would have scheduled maybe a little bit different. Um, but you know, then again, it was a good lesson for all of us. Um, but but yeah, I think we, you know we've we've been a little bit flat. But but since then, we've had an opportunity to rest a little bit, get some good practice at home, um, do some competitive things at home. And the guys look really sharp. You know, we had a lot of guys play good in U.S. Open qualifying, and a lot of guys get out. And so I think right now we're we're looking as good as we've looked all year, as far as just you know one through five looking looking really really solid. And you know what, like Coach Hibble is going to be tough to beat on his home course, but but like you said, that's not necessarily the goal in regionals. I mean, you know, regionals is just surviving and advancing. I mean, obviously you want to show up and you want to win and, and all those things. But, but I think more than anything, it's just about showing up, doing our job, trusting that, that we did a good job at home, getting prepared. I mean, whether that's good enough to get first, second, third, whatever that looks like, the goal is just to, to get to Greyhawk. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to going to their place. It's always fun to, you know, they've got great fans. They're going to have great fans at home. I think it's going to be a really fun environment. We're going to at least get to play, one round with them and and hopefully all three rounds with them because i think that means we're probably playing pretty good if we're playing with them all three days yeah. um but um yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it i really like playing with oklahoma i really like um coach hibble i really like coach alcorn they've got a good group of guys um so i'm looking forward to it yeah, that's a that's a good setup. It's a familiar territory. A lot of teams are you've seen uh, throughout the season, so that's gonna be a good regional. Um, I will let you go and get prepared for that, but uh, we we I still need to ask you a quick question about uh, about Mr. Aberg, uh, Livy Gaber, number one ranked amateur in the world. We could probably fill up an entire episode talking about him, but we're we're not gonna do that. We'll probably find some time to talk about him in the future, but. You know, when people ask me, like, okay, who's the guy that you think is ready for the next level? I always bring him up. And it's it's not just about the scores he shoots, but he just seems to handle everything so well. And and any of the outside noise doesn't seem to really affect him. That's my view on on the outside looking in. Give me a good Ludwig Aberg story to wrap up this episode and get you ready to head off to regionals. There's just nothing for me to compare him to. And honestly, I don't – I mean, I've only been coaching for – seven years now so he, he's a once in a in a career type player and that's not to say that we're not going to continue to have good players but I mean I just don't you know everybody I talk to in coaching has kind of gotten to the point where it's pretty unanimous like a lot of coaches really think he's the best they've ever seen in in college golf and so I really have nothing to to compare it to um, as far as just trying to comprehend and understand how good he really is, but you know, to, to shoot the scores he did at Prairie Dunes, um, that, that type golf course and that type conditions and, and just to be as consistent as he's been all while, you know, and all of that, he's just the absolute nicest guy in the world. I mean, when, when he talks to you, he, he genuinely, he genuinely, he looks you in the eye, he listens, he makes you feel like you're important. Like, there's just something about it, you know. You don't get that a lot in kids his age, and he's not a kid. I mean, he's a he's a he's a, a grown adult, but it's just so unique. And and I mean, I just cannot, I can't even put into words how lucky I am to have 
just to get a small part of his his career as a player just to get to be any part of that is 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 unbelievable but about, i won't say names because i don't want to throw anybody under the bus because they don't want to hear that you know maybe they think more of some other player over their own but there's been a lot of coaches a lot of coaches who've put out a lot of pga tour players that have told me that he's the best they've ever seen in in college golf and i mean i, I believe it i mean you know it's just it's really incredible to just to watch how efficient and just how good he is at every part of the game. It just doesn't feel like he has any holes. Um, yeah. I, it, by the way, the scores he shot at big 12 to win by eight, just for people that weren't following along that, that weren't out there in the, the, in the 50 degree weather and, and the wind and the rain at Prairie dunes, um, 67, 66. And then the 63 in the third round is what really kind of uh, uh, closed the door. And then he followed up with a 69. I still think that that, last round could have been a lot better um not that he he wasn't you know pushing hard but i just you i just had a sense that he could have made that double digits in a heartbeat pretty easily yeah it's uh and i can't i can't stress enough um how good of a teammate and how good of a guy he is i well, mean well he came back this year i mean he came back from what i remember him saying he's like yeah i really like college golf i want to be back with my boys next year yeah and that's, that's right. I mean, and that's the number one ranked. I mean, that was really fascinating where it was just like, yeah, I, I really like college golf. I, I, you know, I see my professional career is coming and yeah, it'll, it'll be, it, it could wait another year. I want to go hang in Lubbock. And when I'm around your team, unless you really know who he is, like if you're a casual observer, like if you're at, like if you're at a, a restaurant, when you're out and about um, at a tournament and you see the Texas Tech team, you're not going to be able to pick him out. He's just one of the boys. Oh, I know. You know, and he, he when we're in the locker room and we're we're going over maybe maybe what the plan is for that day or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, it feels like when, when we're talking about a practice plan or when we're when we're going over maybe some things that showed up one week that we need to get better at, whatever those meetings look like. I mean, you know, let's be honest, like we're really not talking to that guy because <laughs> he probably probably won the tournament. But but he's the guy that he, he sits there in full attention, is nodding his head, is agreeing. I mean, he's just so engaged in everything we're doing and he's so hungry to get better. Um it's, I mean, it's just—it's it, really—it's. It, I, I don't even know how to how to put it into words. What it's like to to be around a guy like that, and I hope I think our guys are doing a pretty good job of learning from him every every chance they get. But I mean, what an opportunity to 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 get to be as a coach or a player to just get to be a, around a guy like that, and, and to see that you can be that good and still be you know just the nicest guy in the world. You know, a lot of times the perception is you kind of have to be a really selfish person and maybe a little bit standoffish, and and that's just not the case with him. I mean, he is genuinely just the nicest guy ever. He makes time for everybody when they ask him to do anything. He asks he asks guys on our team to be his practice partner. You know, for that week. I mean, it's just he's just great. I mean, it's it's such a blessing to get to be around him. Yeah, when I was uh, following him and and Matthew uh, Kamigas, your freshman at uh, USAM last summer, and when Matthew said he was going to Texas Tech, I can't remember when he told me. I said, whenever he did tell me that, I said, 
make sure you're just basically, you know, attaching yourself to Aberg for that one year you have, or you're going to be with him. Yeah. That's the guy you follow around. Well, and, and, and Ludwig's done a great job of kind of filling that role. Cause you know, obviously any, any freshman that comes in, like at any place, I mean, you're a freshman, right? You're going to, you're going to, there's going to be some things that, that you're going to get put on you or, you know, whatever, because you're a freshman and Ludwig is, is the first guy to, to just, you know, really, he's done such a great job of interacting with Matthew and doing everything he can to help him get better. And Matthew's a great player himself and he's going to be, he's going to be really, really good. And, but, but Ludwig just understands like the value in somebody like him, you know, pouring into a guy like Matthew, like he just gets it. Like we're not, we don't have to beg him to do that. He just does it. Yeah. Um, That's one thing I see with your team a lot, not just Ludwig, but, uh, but board uh, Skogan, he I noticed a lot of Big Twelves. Very, your your team's practice sessions or rounds that I'm around, everyone's very engaged and also paying attention to what everyone else is doing and helping that person. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really special group of guys, and and I hope that you know I hope that I can do my job well enough to help them get to the finish line because because they deserve it. But I mean it's. This is such a, a special and unique group of guys. I mean, we've, we've got such a close-knit team, and it's pretty cliche, and I don't even like to use words like culture anymore because they just get beaten to the ground. But um, just the nature of this team and, and what Coach Sands has, has been able to to build here. I mean, and really, I mean, the last three years, all, all these teams have been this way, and it's just a testament to him and, and what he's been able to do here at Texas Tech and the environment that he's been able to create to where, you know, it's just plug and play. Like, whoever we bring in, I mean, I just think it's going to always be that way because Coach Sam, I mean, that's just what we put value in. Yeah, you know, that's what our teams to be like. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I've... It's been everything I've dreamed it would be being here at Texas Tech with Coach Sands. Well, Coach, um, I know you are, are feverishly working on getting that handlebar mustache uh, groomed and oiled and ready for uh, for Greyhogs. It's going to be pretty dry out there, so I don't know how you're going to going to manage that. But um, best of luck at Greyhawk. I will see you out there. And um, yeah, great chat. I appreciate the time and, and good luck out there. And thanks for stopping by the back of the range. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you inviting a lowly old assistant golf coach to to be on the, the most popular college golf podcast there is. And there you have it. Special thanks to Nathan Wynn for joining me on the 300th episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.